Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Woo! You know what I learned this week? What'd you learn? That my cousin, the godfather, Stephen Agostinelli, when you woo, he woos. And a boy. Appreciate that, Steve. So that he did. So somewhere down in Jackson, Mississippi, a woo just occurred. And the next time he sees me, he'll text you and ask, "Who's that kid you're sitting by?" Yeah, and that'll be me. <laughs> that's what, that's so funny. I, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> what was that? That was in Jackson, right? It may have happened twice. I think it might have happened at the hump once in uh, Jackson a second time, or or vice versa. I could be wrong on that, but but yeah, good to know that uh, here at the ripe old age of 34 i can still pass for a youngin that's nice i'll appreciate that here and you know when i'm nearing 40 and feeling like i'm about to die because that's what happens when you turn 40 isn't it you die i'm still going okay i'm still going so i don't know uh <laughs> so our only show together this week and it's really our only show together for the next uh two weeks uh because we'll both be on vacation uh net next week but today we are together so with that being said i wanted and it se- feels so good that's being said, I wanted to take – Joel had mentioned he wanted to be a part of the Tennessee preview. So we're going to move that up to today. And uh, But before we do that, we're going to – well, before we do, we got a few, we got some business housekeeping. The, the woo thing threw me off. My bad. Uh, but, of course, we want to thank you guys for listening wherever you guys are, especially our great service men and women out there. And we want to thank our sponsors, Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. No, yeah, I don't know what people are going to do. You know, Broomingham or Broover has not been opened yet. I, we just keep giving this guy million-dollar ideas, but does he take them? No. No. That's all right. Do you think if he uses one and it is a million-dollar idea, we can get at least a quarter mil? A like, quarter mil, like, no. Free coffee, probably. Probably. That'd probably save me about a quarter mil. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but that said, thank him and uh, his sponsorship. We always appreciate that. All right. So SEC Media Days uh, begins tomorrow, because I'm going to put this up on Sunday before I leave. It's not Victory Sunday. It can be Victory. You know what? For the Joker, Djokovic wins Wimbledon. Sure, he gave you Victory Sunday today. Why not? Although I like Federer better. Uh, But that said, SEC Media Days, you and I both know that at at its absolute crux, at the heart of the matter of SEC Media Days, it's a giant load of crap. Yeah, it's, it, it is useless. People like you and I, we're the props for ESPN. Yeah, it's, it's basically a, a, a reason to get programming, and you know, coaches are going to come up there and tell you who got stronger. Hint, everybody. Who's really working hard this offseason? Hint, everybody. And how much they're looking forward to, you know, even the teams are going to get the crap beat out of them all year. They're looking forward to the season. Um, that said, I'm not much for media days storylines. I'm not much for. What can we learn? Because we can't learn anything. I mean, look at Mississippi State. The quarterbacks aren't going. They're certainly not going to name a starter <laughs> in the middle of July. No. You know, we just don't know that much. So I, I want to go further than that. I want storylines for the season, but I want one beyond who is the starting quarterback. What's the, the most pressing question you have about Mississippi State football in 2019? Most pressing. Um, What's the storyline that you're following? <sighs> It's hard for me to rank them. I don't know what is the, the most, but I'm absolutely intrigued to see about the interior of that defensive line and how it how it recovers from the loss of Jeffrey Simmons with a bunch of guys that, quite frankly, hadn't done much of nothing. You know, uh, that's not a knock on Kendall Jones and Lee Autry and whoever else fills up the interior of that defensive line throughout the year. Well, I mean, they haven't done, you know. But they haven't done – I mean, Autry's played in some games, yeah. Kendall Jones hadn't done much of nothing, really. 
um, barely. I, I would dare say that if you had a poll in in Davis Wade Stadium, and Davis Wade Stadium was full, sixty thousand plus fans, and you did a poll and asked who is Ken, you know, what position does Kendall Jones play, or, or, or maybe you could just do a poll and be like, who who might play on the interior of the defensive line? Probably seventy five percent of the people in the stands, I would guess, couldn't even tell you who Kendall Jones was. Is that too? Is that overshooting it? Maybe half of the people. I, I don't know. There'd be a lot of people who wouldn't even know who Kendall Jones was. You're probably right. I mean, because that's a guy, and you know, he's a redshirt senior, so this is his fifth year in the program, I believe, and he has not made any kind of real contribution now. And honestly, going into the spring, I'd never even considered him to make a contribution. So he had a good spring, and that got him going in the right direction. And then he got hurt. And then he got hurt, yeah. I, I, that said, you know, yeah, I, I would imagine the average Mississippi State fan who does not subscribe to Gene's page, who does not do a lot of Twitter and social media, couldn't pick Kendall Jones out of a lineup of two. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think State's defense is going to be okay this year, but I don't want to say there's a gaping hole right there. But, and I said the other day that I have a lot of faith that because of what's around them and the fact that, yeah, I mean, you got a guy in Kendall Jones that's been here for a while. You got a guy in Lee Autry that's played in some games. I think they can do enough considering what's around them to to adequately fill that spot. But, I mean, there's also a chance there that State really struggles there. You know, and if they, if you struggle there, you got to consider too, Montez Sweat was really good. But one of the reasons Montez Sweat was really good was because Jeffrey Simmons was really good mm-hmm. and drawing double teams. And so if the interior of the Mississippi State defensive line isn't as good as we think, well, if it's not good, you know, it's definitely not going to be as good as it was last year. If the interior line isn't good, Chauncey Rivers might not have the opportunity to be an impact performer. I mean, he's, he's definitely almost surely not going to be what Montez Sweat was anyway, but we still think he can be really, really good off the edge. If State isn't that good on the inside, that hinders Rivers' ability on the outside to be all that great. Or, or you know, whatever end you want to use, Kobe Jones, whoever. It, it, it just impacts the entire front. And all of a sudden, you know, if if the front isn't as good, I mean, we all know college football is one on the lines, man. And, and so to me, that's – I don't know that that's the most – Standout thing, obviously the quarterback deal is the standout thing. You you touched on that. But other than that, it does intrigue me to see how this defensive line recovers losing two first-round draft picks. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that we have undersold how big a loss that is because we've, we've all – look, we've all talked about how losing Sweat Simmons, you don't just come back and be just as good losing that kind of talent. But I do think that we have possibly um, – I think we might possibly believe in that line too much. Possibly. I'm not saying we do. Um, I, I think, like I said, Rivers, I think he's good. I think Kobe Jones is good. I, and I the think. The ends are, are it's, it's the tackles. Yes. And so there is a chance that the defensive line could really, really struggle, especially in the early going. And uh, so that's one thing that to me I'll, I'll really be keeping an eye on. All right. For me, the first one that pops in my head, and it's sort of connected to the, to the quarterbacks, but. Are you going to get the, the explosive plays this year? Now, I think you can get those in the running game because I think Kylan Hill can make explosive plays. But are you? And we talked about this last week, I guess, with the we did the uh, the receivers. Is it, are, are these guys finally going to step up? Is Gidry going to live up to his recruiting hype? Can Osiris Mitchell take another big step forward as a junior? Does Isaiah Zuber deliver on what you think he's giving you as a transfer? 
Who else is there? Does Austin Williams become more than a practice player? Dedrick Thomas, I think, is really solid. Can he give you a little bit more? Um, does Devontae Jason finally evolve? You know, and I say finally. I know it's only his first year, but for a guy that I had, I thought he was going to come in and make a big impact, and he didn't. So the receivers specifically, what, with, Jason, with Jason, after doing our little chalk talk thing the other day, man, I, to, to me, I kind of see why it might take some guys a year to get used to all that. I'll give you that, but then it begs the question. Why not just redshirt him? Give him that. I mean, I'm with you. If you if he's, do you think he's talented, then you want to give him that extra year. So I don't know. Now that's that. That is a question that if Jason turns out to be like if he comes out this year and catches 45 passes for 650 yards and seven touchdowns, I'm gonna be screaming like, why is he not? Why did he not redshirt him? I don't get it. Um, the receivers to me are a huge, huge question, and that that's that's. That's the, the difference between winning. Because State can be successful and win six, seven, maybe even eight games with a similar offense to last year. They just, if they just give the ball to Kylan Hill and they let him be the playmaker. The, the key to being really, really good is, is going to have to be through the passing game and the receivers. And I want to see one of them finally step up. Got yeah. What else is, was on your mind over there? No, is there I, a third one? I, I think that's fair. I mean, this is kind of – we keep flipping, flopping on, on different sides of the football – is there any chance whatsoever? Because you and I sitting here today, probably if you polled us, we would both say that State still has a top 30 defense, right? You'd say that, right? Top 30, top I would, 25 defense? I'd like to think so. Do you think there is any chance whatsoever that we have, again, kind of the same question, but I'm adding in Jonathan Abram and Mark McLaurin and losing Gary Green and all, Corey Thomas and everybody that was lost. Is there any chance that you and I have – undersold how big those losses are in this defense just collapses this year. I don't say collapses because I don't think they'll collapse, but like but more more like middle of the pack, more like 60, 65. Is there any chance that this defense is, falls that far? I don't think so because they're going to be very good in the back end. You know, you know the, the, the back seven, if you want to call it that. The linebackers are going to be as good as anybody in the conference. Um, Dantzler is an elite corner. Smitherman is good. You have a ton of experience. And say Even losing Abram and McLaurin – Cole, Rivers, not Rivers, Cole, Landrews, Murphy, and Walker all played a ton last year. And you've recruited really well defensively. you got some guys coming in who can be immediate guys like Pickering should be a good player for you as a freshman. And coming out as a red shirt, should, so should love it and Crumity. There's, there's too much. I'm not saying it's too big to fail. Like last year's defense was too big to fail. There was just too much talent on it to fail. This year, I mean, you could fall apart, but it seems like a really big stretch to me. It just—I don't see that happening. Yeah, I think that's fair. I and then, fair. if I had to pick one more, I feel like this is a transition year for the offensive line because I think next year Dollar Bill and Charles Cross start to make their mark, and you have two bookends for the next couple of years. This year is sort of you know you, you've moved Greg Island to right tackle. Now you have Tyree Phillips over there at left, and I like Tyree Phillips. I think he's pretty good, but you know you, you're 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 already starting to look ahead to the future with Cross there, the five-star kid. So this is a transition year for them. I mean, Daryl Williams having to switch from guard to center, which you know Elton Jenkins made that switch very successfully. Now he's in the NFL. Stuart Reese moving into guard. You, you've got a lot of pieces. You know, Dorian Parker hasn't played very much. I think the offensive line is going to be good. I think Marcus Johnson sort of follows in the same tradition as John Hevesy, that he's a very good offensive line coach. I think he's a better recruiter, which is why I think you, you know, long term, if you can keep him on staff, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, but th- they are definitely in transition. And you know you got a new quarterback. It's, there's just a lot of moving pieces, and the offensive line is such a key. You know, I'm interested to see. You know, 
that's where the schedule sort of helps you, those first three games. That really gives you an opportunity to gel as an offensive line before yeah. you dive into conference play. Yeah, I, that may be – I know all eyes will be on Tommy Stevens and quarterback play and all that whole nine yards, the first three, three games of the season. But like you said, I, that may be the biggest piece of having those three non-conference games at the beginning is allowing those guys to – you know, they, they've swapped – several of them have moved positions – uh, new group up front. I mean, just that, that, I mean, gelling is the right word. You have three games there for the offensive line to work out any kinks whatsoever. And so by game four, when SEC play starts, you really feel like that, that any kind of issues there will have been corrected in, in your offense. If your offense, you know, sucks for the rest of the year, it won't be the offensive line's fault, you feel like. For going forward. So I think that you're right, that, that those three games are, are huge for, for the offensive line. It is kind of a transition year for them. But, I mean, you know, State's offensive line through the years now, man, it's it's always been – I'm not saying they're world beaters, but you can about take it to the bank that they're going to be okay. You know, there hasn't been very many just putrid, there's your word, offensive lines at Mississippi State the last yeah, few you're years. Yeah, right. They just, just hadn't been. I yeah. mean, there, there's been several going in that you're kind of iffy about, but – well, what they, they've gotten better at, at is, and I guess part of this is Ole Miss isn't as good as they were in fourteen fifteen when Kim Diche was anchoring things there. But for the most part, State was able has been able to move the ball on the ground against just about everybody. Maybe Alabama is like the one exception, although they moved it pretty well two two years ago. Last year they couldn't move it because they were so one dimensional and couldn't do anything in the passing game. And two years ago they were able to hit some passes and loosen it up, and they were just better about getting the ball into the running backs' hands. But you know, you think about I always this, this stat boggles my mind. I, I will never forget it, and that's in 2015. State gave up 31 sacks in in what uh, I guess that was uh, 13 games. Yeah, anything that's that's a lot. That's almost three a game, right? They gave up 16 of them in two games. Bama and Ole Bama Miss. Bama and Ole Miss. Bama hit them for nine, and Ole Miss hit them for seven. And I mean, so when they 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 struggled against good defensive lines. Uh, and now they seem to have changed. LSU last year I means State had some opportunities to move the football. They just kept turning the ball over. Um, Auburn State has been able to move the football on for the past couple of years. So I think that that's the offensive line has definitely sort of solidified itself. Now that you, you, it looks like they're getting more talent in with, you know, you're getting a guy like Dollar Bill, you're getting a guy like Charles Cross. Uh, Brandon Cunningham was a very highly rated guy. A guy they said would have been rated higher if his academics had been more in order. He did enough. He's now he's here and he's eligible. I think that's a big win for Mississippi State. But as the talent level improves, I think the the obviously the offensive line is going to get better because they're getting. I think they're getting good coaching. Hevesy, for all the crap I gave him, was a really good offensive line coach. Yeah, he could get. He he could take chicken. You know what? And turn it into chicken salad. Get them guys pump their hips. Pump their hips. Stay low. Get out of here. But I hadn't done that in a while. Uh, but I think he's got something like cut from the same cloth than Marcus Johnson. I just think you've got a better recruiter there uh, as well. You mentioned that Alabama game in 15. Man, I've, Dak Prescott just got beat and bludgeoned that day. So here's a, a funny guy. story uh, about that. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I took a lot of crap that week from Dak's uncle on Twitter. Really? Yeah, just giving it to me because I kept saying, like, State's going to get throttled. Like, they're going to get throttled. They can't block those guys. And he was just—he's like, I just don't see how you do this. You, you should be believing in the team. I'm like, I'm just here to tell people the truth, what I think. Uh, and of course, I couldn't go in on him because that's Dak Prescott's uncle, right? What am I going to do? Like, take him on head on, take on Dak? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that stupid. So, 
I just let it slide. And so, you know, in the press box that year, Bob used to sit right next to me. First play of the game, Alabama got a sack. And I just looked at him and I was like, I tried to tell everybody. I tried to tell everybody this was going to happen. And then Pre- Dak just ran for his life in that game. Had no chance. No chance against that Alabama defensive line. Yeah. I'm and, a- you know. I remember talking to him after the game, and he—I mean, he as he always did talk to us. But you could just tell that he was hurting. Yeah. I mean, he, he had—he had been through a car wreck after car wreck after car wreck that day. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That was nine sacks. One one tough one tough dude to, to to manage all that. And then, nine sacks plus however many hits he took in the pocket plus how many carries he had. Yeah. I mean, he got beat up that day. And then Fitz kind of got beat up uh, in Tuscaloosa. Oh, he, that was, yeah, the, was that's always been the game I've thought that's that his that the team finally bought into him because he got crushed that day and he yeah, kept and just kept up, going kept getting up kept playing hard and I think everybody bought into him as the leader that day. I'll tell you what, man, you you can dog on Fitz for his his passing ability and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people at times may have done the same with Dak before fifteen when he had a big year throwing the football, but. The last two Mississippi State quarterbacks, at least, that's too tough. They're tough. man. Tommy Stevens are tougher Keaton than a two-dollar stake. No doubt. I don't know. You know how? No telling how good the the next Mississippi State quarterback is going to be. But you got when it comes to toughness, I don't know that they're going to top either of the last two. Man. Yeah, it's going to be tough. No, no pun intended. Um, one last uh, storyline: How does State manage the middle of the season from? September twenty, I believe I have my dates right here. From September 29th to November sixteenth, there's no, there's one home game, one. Yeah. You after that you play Kentucky at home. You are at Auburn. At I think there's a bye. Then you're at Tennessee. You have LSU at home. Then you're at Arkansas and at A and M before you finally get Alabama at home. One home game. That is an interesting and odd stretch. And basically, you're gonna in in a five game stretch to go to a good bowl. You almost need to go three and two against. Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, Texas A&M, Arkansas. Now, you should be able to get that. Yeah. But if you don't, I mean, it's I can't really fault them too much. Those are, that's four road games. You're basically saying you want to split the road games or maybe even have to go three and one. Yeah, it's it's a really, really odd odd schedule. I mean, how do you manage it? I mean, you just you just play the games. I mean, yeah. what do you do? No, you're right. <laughs> there's, there's not you, it's not like you can call Greg Sankey and – Get him to swap some games around so that so that you get out of that. I, you you got to play the schedule like yeah. it is, and just it's just very odd, very that, odd. Go back, Rick Stansberryisms. What it is is what it is. Yeah. Right? Whatever he used to say. It Hopefully, is hopefully get some production out of them freshmen. Out of them, he's a different kind of cat for sure. All right, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. They're they're an interesting team to me because I, I think Jeremy Pruitt's a good coach. Now, you know, and and honestly. He and Joe Moorhead are going to be judged against each other, I think, for their careers, at least here in Starkville, because there was a lot of momentum for Pruitt early, and then it looked like he might get the job, and then Moorhead became the coach. And then apparently, R- rumor, rumor has it. And what I say that was that Pruitt just absolutely flubbed the interview. That's, that's been the rumor. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it know. is or not. But I mean, I know. I haven't that, asked Jeremy Pruitt, hey, did you flub the interview? You got a chance. State? You got so, a chance this year. Yeah. Uh, that said, you know, he's got the job at Tennessee. They showed some flashes last year. Went on the road and beat Auburn. Uh, they were they were a tough team. He's recruiting well, but Tennessee has always recruited well. So I don't know if that's really a, a sign that things are going to turn around. Um, their their, their non conference schedule leads you to believe they sh- they can get through that four and zero, and so they just got to find two wins to get back into a bowl game. I think they can do that for sure. Yeah. And the question is, can they, they go over that? So let's start it. 
sort of off. They start off the week, the year with Georgia State. Pretty easy win there, I would think. Then BYU. BYU, this is, you know, Tennessee's not, they're playing BYU as their power five replacement. Got to get them out of it. BYU is not what it was three, four years ago. You got you to get rid of this. BYU, you can't you can't have them anymore on the schedule. So, but they'll win that, I think. Yeah, not to mention the fact that BYU would not be um, very uh, receptive to Strange Brew Coffee House, which that offends me. So I, I've got to give they're them, out. I've got to give them the L here. Yeah, uh, Chattanooga, fine city. Uh, I don't think you, I don't think the moccasins are going to be meeting. Man, they they kind of have a state like schedule here, don't they? With the first yeah. three, just get things in order. Kind but of then game. it turns a little quicker than states does because then they go to Florida, though, in week four. I mean, they're going to lose. I think this is a real litmus test game, though, because they need to play tough. It's just don't just make it interesting. Be be in the game late in the third quarter. If they come, if they somehow win this game, and I don't think they will. Well, if they're four and zero, they're in great shape. Bulls are back. Yeah, they're, they're, they got a chance to be an eight win team, I would think. But they go to Florida, and then they get a week off, and then Georgia comes to town. Yep, there's so, awesome. I mean, that's that sucks. You're three and zero, and you feel like you got a lot of momentum, and then you're probably going to get handled two games in a row. And you're three and two, and then the season swings when Mississippi State comes to town, and it's just as simple. You win this game, you're going to a bowl for sure, and you are probably going to have a chance to win seven or eight. You lose six and six is probably going to be your season. I think six and six is probably going to be the season. I think State's going to win this game. I do too. I do too. I, I like State's chances to, to go on the. I'm just. I don't know. I've been surprised many times before watching college football, but I, I'm Certainly. just not high on Tennessee at all. I'm not super high on them, but I feel like they're going to be. They're. I feel like they're improving. I feel like they're headed in the right direction. They're probably. They need. Well, they don't have a. They need to get a good elite quarterback in there. If they do that, they'll be in great shape. But they don't have that this year. Uh, so they're three and three, and now we got to drop them to three and four because it's the third Saturday in October. Yeah. And Alabama. Uh, so they're three and four, but then I think they can finish pretty strong. Uh, they go. To, they have South Carolina come in. I'm not big on South Carolina. Not either. On the road, I'm going to take Tennessee. Or Tennessee's at home, so Carolina's on the road. Then they have UAB, who's getting better, and you know could surprise, but I think they'll win that game. So now we've got them at five and four. They go to Kentucky. That's a winnable game. Six and four. Yeah, I was thinking about Kentucky there. I, I just. I think Kentucky's dropped off though. Yeah. So yeah, I, I got to go. So six and four. Now we're back in a bowl. They travel to Missouri after a bye. That's probably like a, a loss. That feels like a loss. You know, that's it's, on the road. I, I, I would like Missouri there, and then they play Vanderbilt. Who I don't know. I don't know if you're aware of this. They've lost three straight to Vanderbilt. That's not acceptable in Knoxville. Yeah. Doesn't that 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 is getting coaches fired? Um, I think they'll win that game though. It's in Knoxville. Seven and five. So seven and five. That's a big step forward in my opinion for Tennessee. Yeah. That's that's the kind of thing you think like next year. I don't know what they bring back, obviously, in twenty twenty, but you can start maybe penciling them back into the upper echelon of the SEC East. Boy, if they Again, I don't think they're gonna win it, but if they were to somehow win that Florida game, oh, then, then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, they're they could very well beat Mississippi State at home. It, I mean, you could have nine wins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you could beat Florida, if you beat Florida, think about it like this: you beat Florida, you're four and zero going into a bye week. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna double check something. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. I want to check a date here. But yeah, it sounds like no, se- I'm wrong. Okay, sounds like seven and five. Georgia's coming off a bye. I thought Georgia was playing Notre Dame the Saturday before the bye there, but they're not. Uh, but yeah, you're you're four and zero when you play, and then with Georgia coming to town, I mean, college game day is probably there. Is Tennessee back? Is the is the the watchword? 
And it, it could happen. But that said, I, I, it's, that's tough to win on the road in the swamp. I mean, Tennessee, they just don't beat Florida. They just haven't done They've only done it once in the last, like, 10 years, something like that. You know, which it's so funny. Back Peyton Manning, you know, used to beat Florida all the time. And T. Martin would beat them, too. And now, same thing with Alabama. You know, and now those, those two rivalries have completely flipped. That's what has has brought Tennessee down more than anything. T- Tennessee and still has talent every year, but Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, three teams they play every year, just so much better now yeah. than they were back in the mid-'90s. Yeah. You well, know? I mean, you know, all eyes were on Tennessee back in the day. And now, now you too, you have – I mean, everybody's caught up to Tennessee. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. not, not just in the East. Well, Mississippi but, uh, State is – Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody this is, is – They're another one of those schools where I talk about, oh, it's so easy to go to a bowl game. Tennessee hasn't done it. Yeah. You know, Mississippi State's done it, but Tennessee hasn't done it. So, I'm going to watch. All right, we got uh, – who do we have left in the West? Alabama – and Alabama and is it just Alabama? That might be right. We got Alabama. We got Alabama. We still have uh, Kentucky, I think, and I think Vanderbilt, so. and the state. So we have five weeks left. You know, if we were like, if we like did a daily podcast or something, we think we'd keep up with. This y- y- you'd think we'd have a, a list yeah, of crap do we'd thing. done. We don't do those things. We should. We'll figure it out. We always have. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So I guess we'll do Alabama at some point, and it'll just be a—I mean—a foregone conclusion where that's going. But pretty much, yeah, pretty much. We'll figure it all out, though. All right, guys. Say goodbye to Joel for two weeks. For two weeks. If you miss the sound of Joel's voice, not only are all our podcasts available for you online, but there are plenty of YouTube videos with country talking people. So you can just just Google some Google some hee haul. Yeah, and and quite frankly, I mean. You know, if you want my phone number or something, just send me a, P, uh, a private message, and I, I, we'll just talk. You know, just just send Joel the private message. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about. You know, you say that, but like, if somebody <laughs> were like Joel, I need help. You would be like, you would help them. Yeah. If somebody I could. was like, I need, I'm having a crisis of faith. Sure. Yeah. That's that's. You wanna, don't set yourself up for for yeah. for psychopaths. Well, I, I, you know, you, you don't talk Jesus, Braves, dogs. I don't. Whatever. You, whatever. Dogs. You got. Do you have a dog? Well, I was referencing the bulldogs. Oh, okay. But, but yes, I have two dogs, actually. I don't know, you had dogs. Well, Brian, I've got two dogs. You never put them on uh there's never I never see pictures of them on social media. Well that's, your because, kids. well, that's because for the last three years I've had kids, so the dogs are just kind of there. I've never even seen like you would think that you'd have pictures of the kids playing with the dogs. <laughs> I don't have I had no idea you owned two dogs. Own two dogs, yeah. What are their got, names? Got a good story with one one of them my dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my dog. Is it Chipper? No, but it is Braves related. Okay, is it Murph? It's Hammer, Hammer, Hammer and Hank. Okay, uh, the dog's name is Hammer. Yes. Okay, he is a well, quite frankly, don't know what all he is. He is mostly lab. Okay. Uh, he he was a rescue dog here from the Octobaha County Humane Society. Huh. Uh, good story here. I got him and got him ten years ago. He's is that right? Yeah, he's he's over ten now, but. Uh, got him. They they found him on the side of the road, kind of deal. I went and adopted him, and took him to the vet. And he had you did know I had dogs. I've told you this story. I think on the way to Omaha. Anyway, had Parvo. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they they basically said you know it's going to cost hundreds of dollars, kind of deal, or he's going to die. And I just you know went and paid twenty five dollars for a shelter dog. I didn't know I was going to have to then pay seven eight hundred dollars, whatever it was, for the Parvo treatment. And uh, I was like. I don't have the funds for that. So I basically took him back to the shelter and was like, you guys got a better chance of getting him through than I do kind yeah. of thing. And uh, lo and behold, a a vet here, I don't think he wanted to be this to be known mm-hmm. that he did this out of his own free will. But since he knew that I was willing to adopt the dog, he basically 
did the parvo treatments. I don't want to. I don't know if he did it for free, but he did it for a highly discounted cost or something for the for the humane society. Anyway, got him through, and I got the dog. They called me up and like, hey, he's been through the treatments. You still want him? Sure do. And so, well, there anyway, you go. Had him ever since. What's the other dog's name? Stella. 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 She is Stella. a. She is. I'm. I'm normally not a Chihuahua fan, but I do like her. She's a she's, Chihuahua. She, she's a Chihuahua, but Ooh. she doesn't really look. She does they, look they like a Chihuahua, but dogs, she's a. So. Uh, I don't know. She she kind of looks like a possum. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> well, know. anyway, got to learn about Joel and his dogs today. All right, Hammer and Stella. Oh, t- last thing before we go. Yeah. Did you see a guy stole first base? I wanted to ask you about that. What is that deal? Is it just he can go on a wild pitch? MLB now has a partnership with this, you know, independently. Yeah. And so they test out rules and things. Right. They, uh, they're testing out this year, like, the every pitcher has to throw to at least three batters thing. You know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of deal. Um, they're testing out a rule now. You know, in actual baseball, a drop third strike, the batter can go. Right. Well, in this, they're testing, like, if the catcher doesn't catch the pitch. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what the count is. So a wild pitch? Yeah. Pass it, it, like, ball? Like, nobody on base, even. Though. Like, you nobody on base... The pitcher guns one to the backstop. This doesn't make any sense. You can run to first. This is a dumb idea. For I don't, Never mind that it's not baseball. Never mind that. There, all I hear about is how we're going to try to shorten the game. You know what doesn't shorten the game? Five extra base runners. <laughs> because five extra base runners turns into 35 more throws to first in a game. What on earth are they thinking? I'm willing to bet. Baseball like talks out of one ear and, and, and hears in the other. You know, just, I'm willing to bet that this is a, a rule that you're not going to see come to fruition. I hope not. Jeez Louise, that's an awful, awful idea. That said, had there been podcasts back in the day, you reckon there had been two guys sitting around saying, what are they thinking throwing the football down the field? Oh, yeah. The DH. I mean, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that, but now it seems like we're tinkering with the legitimate rules of the game. And that's, that's not, and that I'm not down with. Oh, well. All right, guys. Have a great week for Joel and a great uh, Sunday slash Monday. I'll be back with you on Tuesday morning from Hoover, Alabama. It'll be almost August when I talk to you guys again. It really will. We'll be getting ready for football season. I mean, and camp will be starting that weekend when we, when we come back to, uh, when you come back to the podcast. So for Joel, woo! I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk, Mississippi. Talk Mississippi Media Production.